take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And as you turn to James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 17, I've entitled the sermon, What is Sin? And I would like you to kind of interact with uh, that idea. Uh, you don't have to necessarily answer me verbally. You can if you would like. But uh, just think through, what is sin? If, if, if I was giving, uh, giving you a, a quiz, well, let's say this was more of an academic type setting, and I asked you, you know, write down for me a definition of sin. What would you include in your definition of sin? What would you not include in your definition of sin? I just want you to kind of think through that for a little bit. What is sin? It's a word that we, we throw around a lot. And yet, what does it actually mean? What is sin? Merriam-Webster provides us with a couple of definitions. I found these really quite interesting. Um, if you Google Merriam-Webster uh, and you pull up the first three definitions, uh, the last two are maybe a little better, but the first three are this, an offense against religious or moral law. Okay, I mean, he's not completely wrong, but it's not very deep right there, right? Um an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible, such as, it is a sin to waste food. Okay. Um, an often serious shortcoming, a fault. That's a little less impressive right there. So, so I mean, you're thinking about what is sin. Yeah. Maybe an easier way to put this is, what is a synonym for sin? What's another word that you could, you know, swap out for the word sin? somewhat difficult, right? It's kind of like, wow, I never really thought about, you know, defining that. But it's a word that we use often, you know. I use it with my daughters on a, you know, consistent daily basis pretty much. Not always do I tell her she actually sinned, but like the idea is there, right? We communicate these ideas often as parents. And yet what does this actually mean? You know, you and I confront our children with sin. We're also supposed to confront our own sin, right? And so it's important for us to know what sin is so that we can confront our own sin appropriately and deal with it appropriately, right? Because how do we confront our own sin? Part of the confrontation process of our own sin should be going to God in repentance and saying, I did something wrong. This is what I did to offend you, God. Forgive me, right? That should be part of our daily process of confronting our own sin. It's not just simply about confronting our, our, our children's sin or other people that we deal with. We have to confront our own sin. So it's important for us to be able to define and think through what exactly is sin. It's important. It's important because uh, what we view sin as will affect our actions, what we do, what we don't do. What you and I view as sin will affect our relationships with our spouse, with our children, with our co-workers, with our employer, with our employees, with our friends, with our neighbors, with casual acquaintances, as far-reaching ramifications. What is sin? And if we define sin too broadly, there's ramifications there. If we define sin as too narrowly, there's ramifications there too. So we need to define sin accurately and properly. Not only that, but it also affects our prayer life, right? I touched on that a little bit ago. 
But if we don't define sin as God defines sin, then that means there's a whole big portion of our life that we are possibly failing to go before God and confess as sin. Because we don't define sin as God defines sin. So it's important that we define sin correctly. And I think that this passage, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, is going to give us a definition as to what sin is. It helps us to paint a bigger picture of what sin is so that we better know what sin is and we better know how to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to our God and Father. A couple of short ideas, but John, 1 John, tells us that sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the law of God. And as long as you understand the law as being both positive and negative, I think that's an okay definition. What do I mean by that? We typically think of sins as things that we do that God says don't do. So don't argue with your parents. I argued with my parents. I sinned. Right? We typically view sin as going against a negative prohibition of Scripture. But our passage this morning is going to define sin not only as going against a negative prohibition of Scripture, it's also going to define sin as going against a positive command of Scripture. And so verse 17 is going to say, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. He broadens the definition of sin, saying when we know that we're supposed to do this activity, when we know that we're supposed to include this in our regular parts of life and we fail to include it in our regular part of life, it is sin. And if it's sin, it's sin that we should often be coming before God and saying, I know that I should have taken that opportunity to witness to somebody. I know that I should have used this opportunity to, you know, better learn of you. I know that I should have used that opportunity to more effectively come alongside a, a believer in Christ who's struggling to live as they should today, but I failed to. Forgive me for my sin. But often our definition of sin is lacking, and James is going to help us to correct and understand a broader view of sin that in sin, includes sins of omission and commission. If you want to take your Bibles, let's read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? There's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I believe the big idea of the passage is this. Do not fail to do what you know is good. Do not fail to do what you know is good. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you that your word helps us to continually be growing and becoming more like you, realizing uh, that our, our sin is not simply 
flagrant acts of a disobedience to you, but it's also failure to follow you and do things that you commanded us to do. We pray that you would uh, use our time in your word this morning to strengthen our resolve to live for you. We pray that you would uh, you would use your Holy Spirit to reveal areas in our own hearts and our own lives where we are not doing the good that you have given us to do. We pray that as we see those areas that you would uh, convict us of our sin, that we would be brought before you in humble repentance, and that we would depend upon you, your Son, and what he's given us, the grace that he's given us. We would depend upon the Holy Spirit and the fact that he indwells us and he lives in us and equips us for the responsibilities that you have given us. And that as we realize these truths, that we would seek to do the good that you have given us to do. And that we would be holy and blameless before you. In your name we pray. Amen. I've already said that the theme, I believe, is do not fail to do what you know is good. He begins by making a statement but he goes about the long way doing this. We've seen James do this numerous times as we've gone through the book of James. What he's getting at is omission is sinful. But he doesn't come out right and just say that. Instead, he is going to tell us that, but he's going to do that by giving us an illustration. The illustration that you have in verses 14 through 16 is simply that. It's an illustration. It's one way that you and I could fail to acknowledge God, fail to do good that we should be doing in our life. It's not the only way. It's simply an illustration. And so he, he begins, and the big idea is omission is sinful. Failing to do something that you should do is sinful. And he illustrates that in verses 13 and 14. This is the negative. He then gives the correction for the illustration. And then finally in verse 17 he says, this is the application for everybody. Because verses 13 through 17 tell us, you know, about a person who has a business and going to another city and traveling and buying and selling and making a profit. And most of us do not fit that description, right? At least to my knowledge, none of you own a business outside of town that you travel to for a year at a time and then come back. If you do so, you do a really good job of being back here on every Sunday and, you know, Wednesday night. Right? You, you don't do that. So this illustration is kind of, you know, in a way is distant from most of us. But the, the truth that he's trying to get us to understand is really shining clear at the end in verse 17 where he says, He that knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin. The big idea that's going to shine through this whole text is that omission is sinful. He's going to illustrate it, though, with an illustration in the business world. He begins and he says, We're called to reason, right? It's, this is the only command that you have in the whole text. The only thing that James comes out right and just says, you have to do this. In verse 13 he says, come now. What's he calling them to do? He's calling them to come and to consider what they've done, what they've said, how they've lived. It's a call to reason. It's a call to think. And, and so he gives us an illustration that helps us to begin to have our creative juices thinking about this idea. How do I fail to live up to the good things that God has called me to do? This is just one illustration of how this might be evident in your life. It may be that you, you make plans without thinking through what does God think of these plans? 
But it may be that your sin of omission is something that has nothing to do with this immediate illustration that he gives of the business leader. It may be that there's some other areas in your life that you're failing to obey the positive commands of Scripture that God has a desire to work in you. And so the, the, the idea is far broader than simply how do you plan your business arrangements? The idea is how do you plan all of your life? When you know God has something for you, that God has given you a command to do some sort of good in this world, are you and I pursuing that as we ought to? And so he's calling you and I to think. He's calling you and I to allow our creative juices of our brain to really allow this illustration to make us think through every other area of our life. And so he begins, come now, you who say. And then he begins to work in this illustration. Wisdom dictates we consult authorities before making plans, right? I mean, this is common, common sense, right? When you work for somebody, you don't go making plans for a vacation, buy your plane tickets, book your hotel rooms, get your rental car, set everything up, and then go talk to your employer and be like, hey, can I have next week off for two weeks for a vacation? <laughs> That's not how that goes, right? I mean, this is, this is common, basic knowledge. I mean, some people struggle with common, basic knowledge, but this is common, basic knowledge. Right? We, we consult authorities about big plans. And what he's saying is there is a higher authority than just your boss that you might ask about a vacation. And it's, it's God. And he's pointing to this failure in this illustration of these people who are making business plans with no care as to how God has instructed them on how they're supposed to live their lives. With no care as to how God is going to lead them in that coming year. They're independent thinkers. And so how do we think as independent thinkers? You know, it's, it's very easy for us as we go through life and we encounter unbelievers who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have those encounters, we have those opportunities, and it's very easy for us to be like, next time I see this person, I will share the gospel with this person. Right? It's easy for us to say, I know that I'm supposed to share the gospel. That's the positive command. It's difficult, though, at times, for us to positively follow through and do the good that God has called us to do. The head knowledge is there that we are supposed to encourage one another and come alongside one another as we live the Christian life. That command is repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. And yet it's difficult at times to see us actually doing that. We see somebody who's struggling in their Christian walk, who's failing to live out the commands of Scripture. We know that we're commanded to go and confront and to, to seek to encourage and to strengthen that person, to be patient with that person as we do that. And yet we withdraw from that relationship. These are the type of ideas that James is asking us to think deeply about. The command of the passage is to come now, to think, to allow your imagination to kind of just run free. It's kind of a blanket. Here's an idea. And how is God wanting you to think through 
all the various areas of your life, that he's told you positively, do this, do this, do this, which one do you find yourself most regularly avoiding in your Christian walk? Maybe you're a husband that struggles to love your wife well. Maybe you're a wife that struggles to submit well to your husband. These are all the ideas that I think James is calling us to consider. And as we consider them, he's asking us to say, what's the good that I know that I'm supposed to do? And how am I going to intentionally pursue that good? And, and so he begins to illustrate it, and he, he you know, lays out this basic knowledge. James illustrates the folly of planning solely for my benefit. Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Then verse 14 comes down like a hammer, right? I mean, it's all looking good. The stock market's looking great, you know? That's kind of the picture you get in verse 13. Like, you know, normally the S&P makes about, you know, 11%, but it's making 15% right now in verse 13. Like, life is looking up. And James just smashes the idea. It says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For your life, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Right? Much like, you know, my daughter loves bubbles. And the bubbles sit on a, on a shelf that she can't reach. And so it's not uncommon for her to go to that shelf. And she'll go, do this, do this, do this. They're bubbles. you got to use the actual word. You can't just yell, do this, because there's too many thises in the world. But how long do the bubbles last? You get the actual bubbles out and you start blowing bubbles, or, you know, well, it's not really blowing. They're big wands that you, like, go outside with. How long do the bubbles last? A couple seconds. They're done. And that's what he's saying your life is like. He's saying it's foolishness. To make your plans without consulting the higher authority. That's how he's illustrating this bigger idea. It is common knowledge, it's common good knowledge that we all know, that we should consider what God has for us as we make plans. And he says these people fail to do what they knew they should have done. And what he's getting at is, how are you and I failing to plan and intentionally pursue what we know God has for us. <clears throat> so he lays it out. This is foolishness. It's folly. It's not wise. Because you have no bearing on what happens to you tomorrow. You have no bearing on it. You have no control on whether or not you'll live tomorrow. You have no bearing on whether or not you'll live through the night. Whether it be a health crisis, or whether it be a accident, or whether it be some other catastrophe, you have no guarantees on anything. So he calls it foolishness. And what he's really getting at, I believe, is, is this. How are we failing to acknowledge God's plans for our lives? Whether it be a command to find ways to serve meaningfully the body of Christ, whether it be that we find ways to seek to purposely evangelize the lost world, whether it be that we find ways to intentionally come alongside people and encourage them in the Christian life, whether it be how we relate to our 
spouses, loving and respecting them as we're supposed to, whether it be how we deal with our, our family life, husbands, fathers are called on to what? Not provoke their children, but to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How are we intentionally pursuing these areas? And so that's what he's getting at. A mission is sinful. This is simply an illustration of how that looks. It may not be how it looks in your life. In fact, I'd have to say that this specific illustration doesn't fit any of your lives because none of you travel for a year and buy and sell and get yay. Aspects of it, mm-hmm. Aspects of it probably fit each one of our lives in some way. Mm-hmm. But the big idea is in verse 17. How are you and I failing to do what we know is good? He moves on. And he begins to give us the solution for the illustration. The illustration is just that. It's an illustration of how this may work itself out in life. And now he begins to give us the solution for the specific illustration. And he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What James is doing here is he's making a moral pronouncement. That's not something that's easy in our day and age, right? That's something that nobody wants to hear in our day and age. A moral pronouncement that something is evil and you ought to do this. That's a firm statement, right? We don't like firm statements in our culture. And yet that's what James gives us. He says, instead of living how you did live in verses 13 and 14, planning apart from God's intentions and God's good design for your life, you should intentionally plan with God's intentions, God's view in mind. And so he makes a moral pronouncement. It's a strong, harsh moral pronouncement at at first glance. But as you begin to develop and understand fully what he's actually saying here, it's, it's not harsh. He's simply asking you to not live as a sinner. To live in obedience to God's word. Follow God wholeheartedly. He moves on and he says, The will of the Lord must shape our lives. And, and this goes deeper than just simply saying, When you, you know, say I'm going to do something, I, I think it's, it's appropriate to, you know, say that I'm going to, Lord willing, do this or that. But I don't think that's, you know, just because you said, Lord willing, I will do this or that. That means you fulfilled the command of verses 14 and 15, 15 and 16. It goes deeper than just what you say with your words. And so he's, he's calling upon them to truly have thought about this idea, to allow it to affect their heart so much so that it's evidenced by their speech. It's not enough for us to just throw out vain repetition words and say, if the Lord wills, da 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 and be sufficient and satisfied with our progress in the Christian life because we said the right words before we set our plans. And so the Lord's plan, the Lord's will, which you see is a far more deeper and far more encompassing thought than just you know how I organize my business because God's word instructs me on how I'm supposed to live in every relationship of my life. In every role that I have in life. <clears throat> and we all have different roles, right? You might be an employer, you might be an employee, you might be a mother, you might be a father, you might be a brother, you might be a sister. 
There might be a couple of those things, right? And so it calls us to think about God's will. What is God's will revealed about all these different aspects of my life? And how do I submit myself under that? How do I follow that in obedience and faithfulness? Failure, then, to correct our path results in a diagnosis. You know, diagnoses are scary, right? You've probably had either yourself been diagnosed with something or a family member been diagnosed with something. But they're scary. The process of getting towards a diagnosis is scary too, right? Because it's filled with all sorts of unknown answers, questions that, you know, pop up in your mind. I remember back in, you know, January when we found out my dad had the cyst. And your immediate question is, is this cancer, right? Because there's this mass that's growing in my dad's Spinal column. What, what's going on with this? Is this something that's going to be fairly simple to treat? Or is this going to be life-threatening? And on and on it goes. They're, they're scary things. And I think what James is trying to do is trying to help us to see the seriousness of living our lives apart from God's plan, apart from obeying Him, and doing the good that we know that we should do. Because what he calls that kind of lifestyle, when we live our life without concern, without care, for what God has purposely, intentionally told us we are supposed to do, he says it's arrogance. He says it's boasting. But he doesn't just simply leave it, you know, you're an arrogant boaster. He goes on and he says, it's evil. That's like a terminal diagnosis, remember? At the beginning of James, what does he say? Temptation, desire, leads to sin, sin leads to death. It's, it's a terminal diagnosis. And so he's trying to like grab us by the shoulders and like shake us. Like, wake up. You have to live out the commands that God has given. You can't just live your life not by disobeying, you know, flagrant disobedience. But if there's good that God has called you to do, you have to pursue that good as well. So paying partial regard to God's plan is arrogance, and God calls it evil. He's now done with the illustration. And he's going to get down to the practical application of what this looks like for each one of our lives. Because none of us own a business that we operate out of town and live out of town for a year and then come back. Aspects of it, understanding God's will and living by God's will, that's application to all of us. But the practical illustration of how this all works it out, that might not apply to you. But verse 17 really begins to step on all our toes because all of us can look at our life in some area of our life and say, I know that there is this command that God has given me and I fail to live it out as I should. And so he begins now to develop the application. Knowledge demands application. Knowledge demands our action. Verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good, and does not do it to him, it is sin. 
the application then is far broader than the illustration. Because how many things do you know that you're supposed to be doing in your Christian walk? You're supposed to meditate on Scripture. You're supposed to spend time in prayer. You and I are supposed to live in our family settings as we should. You and I are supposed to live with our neighbors in a way that demonstrates love for them. Right? How well do we know our neighbors even? You and I are supposed to find ways to come alongside other believers and encourage them. You and I are entrusted with the gospel that we are supposed to take to all people. And the commands just grow and grow and grow. All these good things that God has entrusted us and given us to do. See how far broader the application base of this sermon is than just how you plan your business ventures? It's, it touches every single area of your life. It touches every single area of my life. It leaves no area of your life or of my life untouched by its reach. The passage is really calling upon you and I to examine Scripture, and as we examine Scripture, say, how does God's Word call upon me to live in every area of my life? And most of us, most of us, have been exposed to enough Scripture in the last month that we can look back on our Bible reading, we can look back at a past sermon, a past lesson that we listened to, a time where we were gathered together and we read Scripture and we're like, you know, that command right there, that good that God called me to do, I don't live that out very well. And so if, if you're listening and you're like, you know, I, I this specific area, how I relate to my children, how I relate to my spouse, how I relate to my employees, my employer, how I relate to my neighbors, how I relate to the body of Christ. That specific area is really convicting. And I would encourage you to say that's what the Holy Spirit specifically trying to work on you today. And you know, next year when you're reading through the Bible or somebody else is preaching and they preach this text, you know, hopefully the Holy Spirit and your submission to Him will have gotten you to a place where you've grown a little bit further in that area, and God's Spirit will work in you and go, you know, this other area, that's what I want you to work on now. So what commands are you struggling to live in faithful obedience to? Is it how you relate to each other? Is it how you relate to people in your family? Is it how you relate to your neighbors? Is it how you relate to your coworkers? Is it how you relate to your friends? The application is very far, it's very broad. Verses 13 through 16 was simply an illustration of what this looks like. So knowing what is right then increases your responsibility. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. And so your responsibility is to the extent that you know what you're supposed to do. 
So what do you know that you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing or that you're not doing as well as you should be doing? Don't, don't say, you know, everything. The chance of you working intentionally and purposefully on everything in your life this week and making significant process and progress in everything is like zero, okay? You have limited time, you have limited resources, you have other responsibilities, apart from applying my sermon for the next 24 times seven hours, um, okay? Don't say everything. Be intentional, be purposeful. What area can you and I work on? Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's developing relationships to demonstrate your love to your neighbors. Be intentional. How does God want you to work through and think through these ideas? Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Moral responsibility not paired with action is sin. To know that I'm supposed to do something means that I have a moral responsibility. And when I fail to pair that with action, it's always sin. That's the only conclusion you can arrive from from verse 17. It allows no other conclusion. If you have the moral responsibility, you understand the moral responsibility, and you fail to accompany the moral responsibility with practical action and application of that truth, it's sin. And so what area does God want you and I to work on? Personally, I'm probably the most convicted about evangelism. Uh, this last week, I was in the grocery store a few times, and I had short conversations. They weren't long conversations. One with an employee and another with somebody else. I can't even remember who it was right now. But I, I failed to take the opportunity intentionally advance that towards a spiritual application. We had good conversations. The employee I'll probably see again. And there's opportunities to follow up. Told me that he had a, a parent who was, or a grandparent who was sick. There's lots of opportunity there to follow up with that next time I'm in the grocery store, right? And I see him. How is your grandpa doing? Okay. But could I have done more? Maybe. Should I have done more? Probably. And so think intentionally, think purposely, and then seek to apply significant steps that will lead you towards action in that one area. How is God calling you to live in obedience this week? As we think about conclusion, our God is orchestrating His plan for our lives. God's plan must be acknowledged in planning. And then the, the theme of the passage, I think, is this. Do right in all areas. Do right in all areas. And so this all begins then with what? I think this is all grounded in, it's all based in, an understanding of who our God is. And God's character is a topic that's way too vast for us to be able to cover and fully describe every aspect of God's character in the next five minutes, right? That's not going to happen. I think the primary character attribute of God that this text is pointing us to is that God is sovereign. That God has a plan that is going to be worked out 
right? And you and I don't know that plan. And so what is the master plan that God has given and entrusted you and I with? It's the positive commands of scripture that he's given you. The good things that he's entrusted you and I to accomplish in this life. So it all begins with us understanding who our God is. God is sovereign. God has a plan that is a good plan for your life and a good plan for my life. And understanding that truth, we then embrace that truth and we seek to live out that truth in our day-to-day lives. And so we embrace this truth. We learn as we, we get to know God better, we experience the, the truth of his character, we learn to lean upon him and trust him more fully. And then, what do we do? We seek to do the good that God has entrusted us with. And that's going to affect us in different ways, right? Because instead of just being able to confess the things that we have done that are against God's you know, do not do list, it means that maybe we're going to have to spend a little bit more time confessing sin that's on God's do list that we failed to do. And so it's going to affect how you and I think through prayer. Because, you know, if you're, saying, if you're saying this morning, God is convicting me about this specific way I'm supposed to live out my relationship with this individual or these individuals, then at the end of the day, if you fail to live out that relationship as God has called you to, you've sinned. And it calls upon you and I to go before God and to confess our sin. It's going to drive us to his word because we're in constant dependence upon God to be able to live up to the requirements that he's given us. So we understand who God's character is. We depend upon the character of God. And we seek to intentionally pursue the good that God has called us to. And don't just say everything. You won't do everything. Choose one. Maybe if you're a really, really great overachiever, choose two. No more than two. What are two areas that you're going to intentionally pursue? Two relationship venues. And then you have a, a nice little sheet of paper that you could have picked up or you came in. And you can write those on the little blanks and say, I'm going to pursue intentionally, you know, my marriage relationship. Or I'm going to intentionally pursue this friendship that I have. And making sure that that relationship is honoring to God and fulfilling the commands that he's given me. Or I'm going to be intentional with my neighbors this week. Or I'm going to be intentional with my coworkers, Or whatever. But be intentional. Be purposeful. Because growth happens as we are intentional and purposeful in something. Right? Just say vague, I'm going to do everything. You're not going to do everything. I'm not going to do everything. You're not Jesus. You need Jesus to be able to do a few things. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for the fact that you have called us to do good, that you equip us to do good. We pray that as we uh, allow your word to work in our hearts, that you would help us to see areas where we 
are failing to do the good that you've called us to do, and failing to see you as the sovereign good God who is in control of and guiding and orchestrating the events of our lives. Pray that as we see those truths, that it would encourage us and equip us to more faithfully do the good that you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Oops. I don't have a song later. I'm packing up. <laughs> All right. Uh, our closing song this morning is My Father Played It All. If you would stand with me as we sing. Thank you.